The following message was recorded at Fountain of Life Fellowship in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, visit www.folfcrc.com. Great to be with you guys. Uh, if you weren't here with us last week, last week we looked at, uh, at least in part, the truth or reality of the resurrection. Um, there is good reason to believe, actually we have every reason to believe that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. In fact, if you have a better theory for explaining the early church, show it to me. Uh, any other theory other than the resurrection of Jesus actually takes more faith to believe than that Jesus rose from the dead. So we saw, we saw in part last week that it's true, he rose. But I wanna suggest this to you this morning. If Jesus' resurrection is true, it's more than true. Here's what I mean. Uh, how many of you would believe, it's not a conspiracy theory, you believe George Washington was the first president of the United States? Anybody? Okay, you, you should probably believe that. Um, next question, how much does it affect your everyday life? Nothing, nothing. Maybe it helped you get like a B plus when you were in kindergarten, because you got a question right. It's true that George Washington was the first president, but, but that's it, that, that's all it does. What about if Jesus rose from the dead? Is that true, is it just as true? Um, is, then wouldn't it have to be more than true? In other words, how could, you, how could you possibly believe that Jesus Christ said what he said and did what he did and rose from the dead and then just leave it in, in the empty past like George Washington. You can't do that. It's more than true because it shows you things about who Jesus is, who he is today. In fact, it makes, it almost makes demands on our lives. If we take the resurrection of Jesus seriously, um, it's not just a fact we know, it changes us. It transforms us. So if you think of... Um, if you think of an asteroid smashing into the Pacific Ocean, it's gonna make waves. You think of a stone being thrown into a pond, what's it gonna give you? It's gonna give you ripples. When you encounter the reality of a risen Jesus, it's gonna make a difference in your life if you really take it seriously. It's gonna be more than a true fact. It's gonna be transformational. So we're gonna get back to our series in 2 Corinthians next week. But for this morning, we're gonna spend one more, one more morning in the Gospel of John. This is our third week in a row. We saw the Lord Jesus, um, his trial, his execution. Then last week, we saw his resurrection, his appearance to Mary Magdalene. And this week, we're going to see ripples of the resurrection or, or things that happen to those who really take the resurrection of Jesus seriously. I wanna walk through four things with you. Number one, a reason to believe. Number two, rest from our fears. Number three, the reception of an incredible mission. And number four, it's real life. Four, four ripples of the resurrection in our lives, a reason to believe, rest from our fears, reception of a mission, real life. For the first point, I actually want to start down in verses 24 to 29 in the account of Thomas. It's an amazingly honest account, isn't it? 
You know, you may have heard that uh, the disciples, well, Jesus didn't really rise from the dead. They all just had the same hallucination. You ever heard that one before? The hallucination theory. It's stupid for about 84 reasons. Um, One reason is people never have the exact same hallucination, but another one's right here. How does Thomas feel about the resurrection a week after the other disciples have already seen Jesus Christ? How does he feel? He does not believe. He's incredibly honest. He does not believe. They're all amazed. They're all telling him, we've seen the Lord. He says, no way. I can't believe it. He is honestly a skeptic. It's just too much. I think there's some incredible, there's some incredible helps for us in this passage. Any, anybody ever have doubts about claims of Christianity before? Listen, doubts are like an immune system. Doubts are important. It means you gotta plug your mind. You can't just believe everything you hear. Did you know you can't believe everything you read on the internet? You can't just believe everything you hear. You need need to have reasons for what you believe. And doubt is like the immune system of the mind that says, hey, wait a second. I don't know about this. And so here's Thomas. He's honestly doubting. I think there's some great lessons for us in here. If you're a skeptic, we all need to be a skeptic a little bit. We all need to ask questions. We need to have reasons for what we believe. If you're a skeptic or maybe there's a skeptic in your life you're trying to help, there's some amazing helps in here. I want to show us a few. Number one, uh, does Thomas pretend he believes what he doesn't or is he honest about it? He's honest. You can imagine there would be pressure, right? Everybody else is like, we've seen the Lord. Uh, He's left out. He's in this group of people that believe one thing. He doesn't. He feels this pressure. He could just bow and say, oh, great, I believe you, when on the inside he's like, I don't. What does he do? He's honest. He's honest. So listen, don't, we need to be a church like this. If you have an honest doubt about something, um, do we want you to just smother it up, cover it up, keep it hidden, pretend like you believe what everybody else believes as if we all believe exactly the same thing about everything? No. What can you be? You can be honest. In fact, if you want to get coffee sometime about doubts you have about God's word or the resurrection or Jesus or anything that has to do with anything, I would love to hear you out on that. Believe me, I've had my doubts on many things. First thing we get to see is let's be honest. Let's be honest about what we believe and what we don't. Another thing that's amazing in this passage is uh, when Thomas says he doesn't believe, how do the rest of the apostles seem to treat him? Are they like, Get out of here, you heretic. Did they give him the boot? Did they mock his faith? Did they say he wasn't a good person? Did they kick him out? No, we we don't have exact details about what they did together, but you certainly get the feeling that he was still welcomed, wasn't he? Because a week later, guess who he's still with? He's still with the other apostles. He's still a part of their community So this means at least this, Thomas was welcomed in the midst of his doubt. He was welcomed. Um, One of the, a pet peeve of mine is when, sometimes I'll run into people and they'll say, yeah, I used to go to church, I had questions, and they just, they like stuck a plunger in my mouth. 
We don't ask questions like that. We're not allowed to ask that question. Have any of you ever had that experience before? Where you felt like honest questions weren't even allowed? Okay. We, we are not going to be that way. Honest questions are welcome here. Honest questions are welcome here. We will do our best to answer it with every way that we can um, from, the, from the truth we have. I, I gotta be honest with you, there's still questions I have that I don't have answers to. Um, but skeptics need to be welcomed. They didn't demean him, they didn't mock him, they seemed to give him time. They had a relationship that was bigger than just party line, didn't they? Next thing you see about Thomas himself, Thomas didn't bail on his community at the first sign of doubt. Here's a problem I have sometimes with people who have doubts or skeptics. They have one doubt and they're on the next plane away from church. I had a doubt, that, must, that means it must be all over. Uh, oh, there's a doubt, none of it can be true. Let's go somewhere else. Mm, Thomas doesn't do that. What does he do even though he has a real legitimate doubt? He hangs in there. He hangs around, he gives it time. He ponders it. Um, he stays with it a little bit. So Thomas isn't bailing his community at the first sign of doubt. The best part, number four, so we saw that uh, Thomas was honest, he was welcomed even in his doubt. He didn't bail at the first sign of his doubt. The fourth one is, what happened when he saw real evidence? He accepted it. Now, let's be honest, his evidence is pretty cool. <laughs> it's pretty cool, it's a little bit different. Look at verses 26 to 28. Wouldn't you love to be a fly on the wall for some of these things? Eight days later, his disciples were inside again. Thomas was with them, although the doors were locked. It's telling you something about Jesus' glorified body. I don't even know how to explain this, but walls and locks, he's not sweating them. Uh, and yet, by the way, in another text, he's eating fish. I don't think he's a ghost. He's eating fish. Uh, he's got a real body. Anyway, although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them. Peace be with you. And then he walks right up to Thomas. Put your finger right here. See my hands. Put out your hand right here. Feel that? That's from the spear. Do not believe, disbelieve, but believe. And what's Thomas's response? My Lord and my God. You can't have a greater response than that. Jesus is his king, and he sees Jesus as div totally divine, the son of God, and Thomas is totally committed. When he hits real evidence, what does he do? He follows it. Now here's a little bit of the warning for the skeptic. Sometimes a skeptic falls in love with being a skeptic. Always asking questions, always doubting, Never landing, circling the plane again and again, won't come home, even in the face of real evidence. And so we have to ask ourselves sometimes, are we seeking truth or are we seeking autonomy from God? Because when you, once you uh, swallow skeptic juice and you identify as a skeptic and you always doubt everything, 
Well, it's wonderful because guess who makes all the rules for you and how you should live and what's true and what's false? You do. A great, a great way to make yourself your own king, your own god, your own idol is to just enjoy being a skeptic about everything else. And here's the problem with that. Listen carefully. Every doubt is a statement of faith. Every doubt is a statement of faith. And so if I make a truth claim, Jesus Christ rose from the dead, okay, that needs to be tested. That needs to be thought about. But if you're gonna doubt that, which is, it's totally fair to doubt it, but now you've got a truth claim. What is your truth claim? Jesus Christ didn't rise from the dead. Or, we can't know whether or not Jesus rose from the dead. Well, hey, just like the first truth claim needs to be tested, Jesus rose from the dead, let's test it. What's the evidence? Well, guess what needs to be, guess what we need to do with those other truth claims? We need to test those as well. Doubt, your doubts. I'll be honest with you, one intellectual reason I'm a Christian is because all the other options I find totally ridiculous. I find totally ridiculous. I can't be, I cannot be an agnostic or an atheist. Here's a major reason why. An agnostic or an atheist has no rational reason to believe that something like love or justice is real. And we can't live in a world like that. That does, that does not work. It does not compute. The human heart cannot do it. Love and justice are real. There's only one way intellectually love and justice can be real, and that is this. There's a God who is love and just. So the fourth thing, the tip, the encouragement is, yeah, be honest with your doubt. Hey, church community, don't kick people out just because they're doubting. Hey, don't just fly the coop and bail because you have a doubt. But when you find evidence, follow it and have integrity with that evidence. And that's what so many Christians over church history have done. They've thought, they've researched, and in the end they come to this very same claim, so many of them, what do they say? My Lord and my God. Lee Strobel has a movie out right now, Case for Christ. That's his story. Total skeptic, he did research, my Lord and my God. C.S. Lewis, one of my favorite authors, was an atheist, was a pagan, thought about it, did research, my Lord and my God. Follow the evidence. Well, you're wondering if I got lost about my sermon because I told you there's four ripples from the resurrection. And I said the first one is a reason to believe. Thomas is a skeptic. What's his reason he believes ultimately? The resurrection. Jesus is alive. Look what Jesus says in verse 29, right after he has this encounter with Thomas. Have you believed because you've seen me? What's next? Blessed are those who have what? Not seen and have yet believed. Extra grace, extra blessing, extra props for you, who even though you haven't put your finger in his wrist, you believe. And part of what John is doing here is he's saying, even though you haven't had a face-to-face -face with the resurrected Christ, you have every reason to believe that Jesus rose from the dead. 
You have every reason to believe it. And here's what's amazing. Because we have every reason to believe the resurrection, the resurrection gives us every reason to believe. Here's what I mean. If you looked out at the scope of world history, would it cause you to think that God is love? Honestly. No. Don't look at world history to see that God is love. And you might look at nature. Nature does show us the glory of God, right? You watch a sunset, you see the beauty of a whatever it is out there. It's beautiful. But some writers have, have written about how they go out to nature to see God's beauty, and then they watch a, um, a water beetle devour a frog. Or if you want to come to my house, you can watch a tarantula uh, take out his prey. And it's pretty cool, but it's kind of harsh. Kind of harsh. And what's the ethic of nature? Survival of the kindest, right? Kindest. The kindest antelope. Karma, right? Come on, won't karma come back and help you if you're a kind antelope? No, it's survival of the fittest. So nature teaches you, right, if you just want to be cold-hearted nature, if you want to survive in this world, what do you need to be? The strongest. And what do we do with the weak? We eat them. We trample on them. That's how this works? Do you see God as love in that picture? Listen, I believe God is love. Why do I believe God is love? Because Jesus Christ came to this earth and he taught us of God, and he showed us love like we'd never seen it, and he taught us love like we'd never heard it, and then he died on a cross for my sins, for your sins. But folks, if he just died on a cross and that was the end of the story, listen, he is not the first or the last person to die on a cross. How do we know God loves us and has sent us his son and there is such a thing as a loving God who wants us to know him. How do we know it? Jesus rose from the dead. That is why I believe love is real. What about a hope for a future and that good wins? We like movies where good wins. Look at real life. Does good always win? No. Does a nice person always get the happy ending? No. Does the bad guy always face it in this life? No. Sometimes the bad guy lives till he's 120 and he's rich and everything goes just right. And our heart says, there's no such thing as justice. How do we know good wins in the end? There's one reason. Jesus rose from the dead. That means God hates evil and sin and death and he's taken care of it fundamentally in Jesus Christ and it's the proof that good wins and Jesus is gonna come back and finish the job. Why do I believe anything worth believing? It's because Jesus rose from the dead. Do you see this? It's a reason to believe. Not only that, maybe some stories in, the, in scripture are hard to, are hard to handle. Like, uh, you hear about the Exodus. I love that story, don't you? God splits an ocean, and people walk across on dry land. Now, have you ever seen anything happen like that before? No. 
Uh, do you hope to ever see something like that in your lifetime? That'd be cool, but yeah, don't count on it. Why do you even believe that that's real? You could say, well, it's in, it's in the Bible. Okay. How do you know the Bible is to be believed and that God keeps his promises? You know, God made a lot of promises in the Old Testament that seem to take a heck of a long time to come true. Why do you believe God keeps his promises and that the Bible is true? Here's why. Jesus rose from the dead. It's the answer to all of God's promises. Not only that, here's this. Jesus claimed to be the son of God. He also claimed that the Old Testament, the same books we're reading, were trustworthy and reliable as the word of God. So why should you believe that those stories, as as amazing as they seem sometimes, are trustworthy? Well, Jesus, prove it. Prove that you're the son of God. Okay, I'm gonna die and rise. Is Is that enough for you? And then he does it. So who is he? He's the son of God. How do we know? He rose from the dead. And if he's the son of God who rose from the dead, then do you think he's trustworthy on whether or not you can trust the Old Testament scriptures? Yeah. Why do I believe intellectually, why do I believe that something like the Exodus or any of those other stories are real and true? Here's my reason to believe. Jesus rose from the dead. Do you see what the resurrection gives you? A reason to believe. A hardcore cement place to put your feet to believe in in pretty much everything that's beautiful in life. It's true because Jesus rose from the dead. And if you're still struggling with the fact that Jesus rose from the dead, well, okay, but doubt your doubts. Why would we believe good wins without Jesus in his resurrection? Why would we believe God is love without Jesus and his resurrection? There's no reason to believe it. Do you see that? So I wanna pump you up. Do you have a reason to believe? Do you have a reason for the hope that you have? Yeah, he's alive. Second thing, rest from our fears. We'll see that in verses 19 to 20. Rest from our fears. So, Going backwards a little bit, verse 19. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were. Why were the disciples locked in their hotel conference room? You see it? For fear of the Jews. Now we can mock them and be like, oh, silly disciples. What did the Jews just do to Jesus? Disciples saw it. They crucified Jesus. Anybody a little bit scared of someone who could crucify you? Call me afraid. Call me afraid. I give them props for even meeting together. I might be in a different city. I might be like, guys, we can't hang out. I don't want to get crucified. Love you. See ya. You know, by the way, it reminds me of a story. Did you hear uh, a couple weeks ago, the church in Egypt that got bombed on Palm Sunday? Got bombed, blown up. Um, Guess what happened to the churches next weekend? Empty, right? Bursting at the seams. And the Christians were saying, as one interview said, I'm willing to die to come to church this morning. 
And then I'm like, oh, American Christians. We're so fat and happy. We just don't, we don't get it. We don't get it. They're meeting and they have no fear. Those people have no fear. They're going to church. What happened? It's a ripple of what? The resurrection. These disciples, they were afraid. Boy, you look at their fear. They were in the garden when Jesus, the soldiers came, what'd they do? Ah, they're afraid. Peter gets confronted by a 14-year-old slave girl. I think you're one of Jesus' disciples. What does he do? He pees his robe. He's out, he's afraid. What are they doing now? They're afraid. The way to define the disciples on that last week, one word will do it. Afraid. They're still afraid. Jesus comes. What does he say three times? Gives you a little theme of this. Did you notice in the passage? Three times he says it. Peace be with you. Peace be with you. Peace be with you. Peace be with you. Peace, that word shalom, it doesn't just mean like an absence of fighting. It means holistic thriving and health. It means literally everything is okay. Everything's gonna be okay. Peace be with you. When he had said this, what does he show in verse 20? He showed them his hands and his side and the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. The Bible, the Bible is masterful at being understated. How were they really when they saw the Lord? Glad kind of feels like, right? What, is it, what was it like? And what's amazing to me is Jesus kept his scars. Why did he keep his scars? John points it out. I mean, in a resurrected body, right? How many of you are hoping for a little better of a, of a health condition than you have presently? Uh, you want to be a little more indestructible. You want to last longer in your new model. That's part of the joy of a new body, right? No more sickness, no more pain, no more suffering. And Jesus, he's got his new model, but what's it still have on it? Scars. Why? It's so we can see it and see the amazing mixture of scars on a new body. Because what does it tell us? We don't have to be afraid of God anymore, number one. Now don't hear me wrong, are we supposed to fear the Lord as Christians? For sure, but that means like awe and respect, right? Wonder at who he is. But do we need to have a terror of his condemnation, that he's reject us, that we're gonna pay for what we've done, that we're outsiders? Do we need to fear in that way? No, and how do you know you don't need to fear God? You can have rest from your fear. Scars of death on a resurrected body. I love you, those scars say, right? I suffered for your sins, and I'm alive. Peace. Do you feel peace with God on that one? Peace, it's all taken care of. We're good. You're right with me. 
You've been made right with God through faith in Jesus Christ. But not only that, something's gonna change in these apostles. Again, the week of Jesus' death, the word that defines them is fear. Read the book of Acts. When the Holy Spirit comes upon them, you know what word is going to define them? Bold. Bold. How do people go from scared and cowardly to bold as lions? Jesus is alive. He's alive. And it's rest from my fear of others. And do you fear other people? Don't lie to yourself. Um, I love the real tough guys who look really tough so they can show us all they don't care what we think. And the reason they work so hard to show us that they don't care what we think is because they care what we think. We care what others think. In a, in, in a way, it's good, it's natural, we're human, we're in community, we care, we're in relationship, but it's so easy to be a slave to what others think. A slave. Uh, are you insecure about your career? If I was more successful, I'd, people would think, insecure about your family life. If I had this, I would, if I had this money or this car, I would, and then I'd be accepted, and then if I was young and beautiful, or if I had a boyfriend, or if I had, if I had, if I had, then I could finally be. If I had, I could be, but I don't have it. I'm afraid that I'm not. Feel the ripple of the resurrection. You are enough in Christ. You're adopted in Christ. You're God's child in Christ. You are sufficient in Christ. You don't need to be afraid. You don't need to be afraid. And that's amazingly, that's gonna free you to love people instead of serve them and make them serve you. When you're set free. Next thing, what about a fear of death? I mean, it was legit for the apostles, right? Some of them died for sharing the gospel. That's scary. And Jesus in other places in the gospels will say things like, don't fear those who can kill the body. And that's another place where I laugh, it's kind of understated. So. They can kill my body. You might let them kill my body, and you're telling me not to be afraid. How many of you are with me and you're like, this isn't working? <laughs> they can kill my body? That scares me. I'm officially afraid. I'm afraid they're gonna say mean things about me. I am sucking my thumb that somebody might not like me. I'm afraid. How does the resurrection help you? you'll rise. What can anyone take from you that you're not gonna lose anyway, but that God has given? We, want, we, we could live as cowards, right? Because we don't wanna lose our career or our bodies or our relationships. Guess what you're gonna lose? I'm not a prophet. I do work for a nonprofit. <laughs> but looking into the future, you're all gonna die. I know I just blew your minds. Uh, guess what you're gonna lose? Everything, except in Christ, what are you gonna lose? Nothing, nothing. 
You're going to rise. It's the resurrection that can make us bold to accept and walk through suffering intentionally for the sake of the name. You've watched it happen to the apostles. I want it to happen more and more in me. He's alive. It's rest from our fears. This is what Paul is saying in Romans 8. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Down in 37, no. In all these things, we are what? More than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm sure that neither death nor life, angels or rulers, anything present, things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. There's no fear there. How do we know it's true? Jesus rose from the dead. So we have a reason to believe. We have rest from our fear. Third one, we've received an incredible mission. Look at verse 21, what Jesus says there. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you, and then this incredible line. Look at this. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Why did Jesus come to save us? The Father sent him. How did Jesus respond to that being sent? Obeyed, faithful, accomplished it. And he said on the cross, it's finished. I've done what the Father has for me. And we're like, okay, I can believe that. Father sent the Son, it is finished. And now, just as the Father has sent the Son, same mission, same team, same goal. As the Father has sent the Son, Jesus says, I am sending you. Not only that, I'm sending the Holy Spirit, Jesus is saying, to be with you as I send you. This is amazing. We're talking about ripples of the resurrection. Do you know what one of the ripples of the resurrection is? The effect of the, revel- of the resurrection? You are. You are the result of the resurrection. In the resurrection, we receive an incredible mission. Look how Paul talks about this in Colossians 1.24. It almost sounds heretical. In Colossians 1.24, Paul says, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. And maybe some of us are like, hold up. What's lacking in Christ's afflictions? Was it not enough to save us from our sins? Is Paul the second Messiah to finish the job? No way, that's not what he means at all. When Jesus said it is finished, it was. Everything necessary was completed. But as you look at the rest of what Paul is saying, I'm filling up what's lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given me for you to do what? Make the word of God fully known. The work of Jesus is finished, but it's not over. It's finished, but it's not over. He's done everything necessary to restore people to a relationship with God. And he wants to save more and more and more people and bring them into fellowship with the Father. 
And how's he gonna do it? This is where we might have the biggest beef with Jesus' organizational strategy. Do you ever wanna have a, you know, a meeting with Jesus, kind of a board meeting, and you could be like, listen, I love what you did to save us from our sins, but the people you chose to work with to continue your mission, maybe you wanna get on monster.com or something. Because I went to Fountain of Life, I don't know if we're qualified. I don't know if we're qualified. I wanna go in the boardroom and be like, it's an honor to have this job, but as far as the Father sending you and then you're sending us, I feel like, I feel like there's a gap in between him sending you and then, and then me and us. This isn't gonna work. But Jesus is insistent. No, this is the plan. This is the plan. I rose from the dead. And I'm gonna give my people the presence, the person of the Holy Spirit. And just as I've been sent by the Father, Fountain of Life, what is Jesus saying to us as a result of his resurrection, what have we received? We are sent to the world with the message of what Jesus has done. You have been sent. And you have the power to do it, the authority to do it, the ability to do it, mostly because Jesus has risen from the dead. You think of what he said in Matthew 28. I don't have a slide for this, but you'll remember it. The beginning of the Great Commission. All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Why does he have all authority? He rose from the dead. Therefore, go and make disciples, etc. And I'll be with you always to the end of the age. Do you realize you've received this mission? In verse 23, it's, Jesus says to his apostles, if you forgive the sins of any, they're forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it's withheld. And what does that mean? Are the disciples kinda like uh, evil pope figures and they, you know, if somebody goes like, please give me forgiveness, and they get to be like, well, okay. And somebody else, they're like, no, none for you. Are they like forgiveness vending machines? How does this work? Well, here's how it works. Jesus chose them to, and gave them his authority to proclaim him, right? What's the message of forgiveness? How do you get it? Repent of your sins and trust in Jesus Christ, and you're forgiven. How do we know that's the message? Where'd you get that? Subtle clue. How do you know it's the message of forgiveness? We have what the apostles taught in the scriptures. He, Jesus gave them authority to proclaim him. We have their proclamation. And so when this verse says, if you forgive the sins of any, they're forgiven. If you withhold the forgiveness of any, it's withheld. That means this, the message we are sent with, it isn't just our message, it's God's word to the world. And that everything depends on people's response to it. If we say, trust Christ and you'll be forgiven, when somebody trusts Christ, guess what? They're forgiven. And if we say, if you don't trust Christ and you lean on your own works, guess what? They're not forgiven. And so this is meant for us to feel the weight 
and the power of what we've been sent out with. You and I have been sent out with a message of forgiveness of sins and reconciliation to the world. And I know we're terrified of this. And if we looked at our lives, some of us are like, I can't remember the last time I told somebody who doesn't know Jesus about him. Maybe this is the thing for you. Pray about this. Let the reality and the power of the resurrection land on you and send you out. Last one. Resurrection is reason to believe. The resurrection is rest from our fears. Third one, the resurrection is a reception of an incredible mission. Last one, the resurrection is the opportunity of real Real life. Verse 30. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe. What does John want for us? That you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have what? Life in his name. So many people in this world feel like They're alive, but they have no life. They don't know why they're here. They don't know what they live for. They're just on the treadmill of life, running and going nowhere. It reminds us of the very storyline of the Bible. Why are we here? What are we made for? We are made for a thrilling relationship with God, where we are submitted to him and satisfied by him in his goodness. And as we know him and have fellowship with him, we have fellowship and life with one another. We know we lost that in our sin. We lost it big, we've lost it badly. But Jesus came to restore that. How? Through his cross and his resurrection. And when you trust this message, when you see the world as though the resurrection is real, That life begins in you. That life begins in you. You know why you're here. It's to know and enjoy your Father in heaven. It's to see and savor the beauty of Jesus Christ. It's to live the life he's given you, to love and serve the people he's put in your world. You're alive. And it's because Jesus rose from the dead. So Jesus is alive, amen? And that should make all the difference, right? We have a reason to believe. We have rest from our fears. We've received an incredible mission. We have real life, it started, it's growing, it'll never end. Let's take this seriously. Let's swim in the waves. Let's feel the ripples on our hearts and live like The resurrection is real because it is. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for sending your son. And Jesus, we praise you that you are alive. We pray that the effects of that would wash over us in every way. And we pray that the power of this text would come true. We ask that our faith in you would grow, our fears would dissipate, 
that we be sent out on this mission and enjoy our life with you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening, and we invite you to visit us Sunday mornings here at Fountain of Life Fellowship. For more information, visit www.folfcrc.com.